Hey everybody, and welcome to the fourth My Ruby Story. This week we're going to be talking to Derek Reimer. Did I say that right, or is it Reimer? It's Reimer. Reimer. Correct. Yep. I shouldn't second guess myself. There you go. Lesson <laughs> for everybody: don't second guess yourself. <laughs> there you go. Um, I actually saw Derek a couple weeks ago at MicroConf. Yeah, MicroConf's always fun. I'm, it's always good to catch up with you there, Chuck. Yep. So, uh, you want to fill us in just real quickly on? Uh, on things with drip because I know that's been interesting over the last little while. Yeah, sure. So for those who don't know, I'm the co-founder of an, of a software as a service app called drip. Um, drips an email marketing platform or really a marketing automation platform, uh, used predominantly by, uh, startups and consultants and, um, and Chuck and Chuck <laughs> <laughs> wide variety of folks. Um, and yeah, we've been at it for about five years now since late 2012. And, um, uh, last year, mid last year, we were acquired by lead pages. So we've kind of gone through a transition from being a small bootstrapped team into a being swallowed up into a larger company with lots of resources and, and, um, about 170 people there. So that's been a, a fun ride and a fun transition. Uh, during that time, I also, uh, relocated from middle of central California out to Minneapolis. So I've been having lots of, uh, life changes over the past year for sure. That's crazy stuff. Yeah, it's yeah. always fun to get caught up and go, oh, wow, you moved out to Minnesota. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I had an aunt and uncle that lived out there for a long time. Unfortunately, they moved closer to me. Mm, so, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, so yeah, I'm going to ask you a series of questions. We'll kind of dig into some of the areas that are of interest uh, to me and to the audience, and we'll see how where things go from there. Very cool. Uh, the first question I have is, how did you get into programming? Yeah. So, um, I've started out, I think I was trying to remember, um, I think it was sometime in middle school when my dad, um, introduced me to, uh, DOS basic. So, uh, it was just, you know, really rudimentary stuff. But I remember the first, first few programs I made were basically, um, the types of programs that you ask you a question and a command prompt, and then, uh, you know, you type your answer and then you can put conditional logic there to vary the responses. And I just remember, uh, the first time I made a, a tiny program like that, that was able to, to interpret my input and cater the output. It was like pretty mind blowing for a, for a young kid. Um, and yeah, I think from there, I, I really started to get interested in, uh, programming games. Probably no surprise. That's I'm sure mm -hmm. a lot of people's story. Um, so yeah, I, um, I think the first game I made was was a rudimentary version of Snake, you know, like the old Nokia phones, um, <laughs> and you know, perfect for the for the uh, DOS level graphics, um, and and that was fun. I, I just tinkered around for a few years with that. It was really kind of just a hobby of mine, um, and then uh, at a certain point, I was looking for a little bit more power, and uh, I think maybe Windows, gosh. Windows 95 or 98 or XP, one of those, I, I'm not sure. Timeline's a little fuzzy for me, but um, started getting into VB6, which is kind of the natural progression from from DOS level uh, basic. Right. And and so from there, I was working on, um, I think I implemented Snake there as well. <laughs> and and a uh, kind of a rough version of Galaga with a little plane uh, or a little uh, rocket that could shoot bullets and uh, have a scrolling screen. And that was fun. Um, and I also recall building a, a, a version of double solitaire where, um, and I actually built 
a system where you could play against the computer. So um, just a a bunch of case statements and and stuff, but I felt pretty accomplished doing that as well. (laughs) That's pretty awesome. And it's, it's funny, you know, just the simple, simple things, the simple wins that, Mm -hmm. that you get that kind of go, Oh, well, this is, this is really cool. Yeah. I mean, I remember I, I, I did a little bit of programming before, um, you know, when I was a teenager, but I really got into programming when I was in college and it was just kind of funny because I was like, yeah, this, you know, it was all toy programs and stuff. And, you know, I, I didn't really think, take it that seriously. And then I wound up uh, in a job after I graduated and I knew how to program because I had taken the classes, but mm-hmm. I was thinking, well, I'm just going to go the management track or the IT track. And all of a sudden we had a real problem to solve with code and yeah, like the small wins. Oh, Hey, look, it loads the next email in immediately instead of having to wait, you know, like we do on Thunderbird to, to get these support emails answered. And then, you know, the next win where it's, Oh, now I have the common responses, the common errors. And yeah, it's just those little wins. It's like, Hey, look what I made. Right. It's funny how you mentioned that. Like, like you kind of just found yourself, doing programming gradually. And it was, Uh it was kind of similar for me where, um, this was always a hobby of mine since I was a young kid and all the way through high school, I was doing, um, my dad at one point had me building some plugins for him, uh, into his, the CAD software they were using. He's a mechanical engineer. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of did that in the summertime and, um, you know, I got paid a little bit of money to do that. It was kind of fun. Um, but my, my vision of what being a professional software developer was, was that you would have to sit in a cubicle and write C all day long. Right. You know, I just, I thought, you know, I'm writing basic code right now. This, I mean, VB six is a little bit gnarly, but it was still, uh, you know, more along the lines of a high level language like Ruby, as opposed to something where you're doing memory management and pointers and all that fun stuff. So, you know, I always thought like, uh, it's, it's fun doing this, this basic stuff, but, in order to be a real developer, I would have to learn C and I would have to do all this gnarly uh, programming that didn't particularly interest me. So um, I kind of dismissed programming as a career option really until after graduating college. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we we had you on episode 254 of Ruby Rogues and we talked about scaling and building uh, a SaaS app, which, yeah. you know, drip, right? Yeah. Um, so I guess... Uh, my next question is, how did you get into Ruby? Yeah, so um, so picking up the story, actually, it kind of transitions nicely. Um, I graduated from college, and at that point, I was a math major, and um, I thought I wanted to become an actuary, which is like... Oh, gosh. You know. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Explain what an actuary is so people can go, oh, gosh. Yeah, so an actuary basically works... Th- I think 90% of them work for insurance companies Mm -hmm. and you basically build insurance models, statistical models and, and determine pricing for insurance products. Um, and I was attracted to that because one, I liked math and two, it was like the, uh, some kind of career guide in high school was like, you know, had that ranked as the top paying job you can, you can do. So I'm like, Hey, I might as well apply my love of math to something that pays well. Mm -hmm. Um, which, you know, you should really consider more than that when uh, when picking your career. <laughs> statistics but, uh, isn't math, though. Statistics is confusing. In fact, the only reason that I passed statistics in college was because everybody in the class failed. And yeah. the department said, yeah, we can't fail all these <laughs> students. <laughs> yeah, they are quite different, actually. I, I, yeah. I, now that I think back to my math education, I really liked pure mathematics. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And uh, then I kind of bolted on like a statistics emphasis because I was going to need it. And it was definitely, you know, a much different world for sure. Yeah, it's a different thing. But it's interesting that you mentioned that because, again, I mean, some people come into programming and it's it's sort of the artistic. Hey, look, I can create something, you know, I can Mm -hmm. express myself with this. But if you look into computer science, especially as as a scientific field, Mm -hmm. it it's it's very mathematical. And yeah. so it's it's really interesting. I mean, do you find do you find that you gravitate more toward the the solvable problem as opposed to the way of expressing a solution? I think I I think I kind of hop between both, which is where my my technical training as a mathematician kind of helps with the logical side of things and I'm definitely attracted to that, but I'm also um I'm I'm pretty full stack, so I like to even, you know, mm-hmm. dabble in UI design. I was kind of responsible for drips UI for the first couple of years. So like, I don't know, I, I like to service both sides of my brain, I think, um, which is why it was a good fit to have a good technical underpinning. And then I can like be free to explore, um, kind of the more artistic, uh, creative nuances of, of software development. Gotcha. So how do you go from wanting to be an actuary and (laughs) studying math to Ruby? Yeah. So, um, so I kind of got to a, a little mini crisis after graduating uh, college with my math degree and deciding I didn't want to do actuarial science. Um, and so I thought, you know, I've always been interested in in being my own boss, running my own business. Why don't I get an MBA? Which another <laughs> laughable, <laughs> another laughable <laughs> part of my history. So, um, so I did. I enrolled in the MBA program and I was in it for uh, two semesters, I think. And um, yeah, dropped out <laughs> because it was all, you know, fi- corporate finance and corporate management. And the, the real turning point was taking a uh, taking a, an IT class or an information systems class with a professor. He was he was of advanced age and, uh, you know, talking about IBM and kind of concepts from the 80s. And then at a certain point, he basically uh turned it over to the class to teach ourselves. So we rotated doing uh, uh, lectures (laughs) and he, uh, he literally fell asleep in the back of the class. So (laughs) I was like, yeah, why am I paying money for this? And, and then I also realized that, um, the entrepreneurship classes that I was planning on taking through the program were by and large taught by uh, professors who had never actually run a business before. So, um, yeah, decided that wasn't for me. Um, so (laughs) I was like, okay, there's got to be another way. Hey, this software thing is pretty interesting. I think I could maybe start a business in this uh, in this area. And at a certain point, I got turned on to the 37 Signals blog, um, and it was it was less for the technical side of things and more for the business side. You know, they were they were kind of evangelizing uh, bootstrapped SaaS companies uh, similar to Basecamp and mm-hmm. and basically talking about how there's an alternative way to the traditional VC funded route for for software startups. And that sounded really intriguing because it sounded like something I could just start tomorrow, you know, in my in my room with my computer. Um, you know, I could start building a product. And I could start marketing it to people. And if I got a couple hundred people paying X dollars a month, then, you know, I would have a nice lifestyle business at least. Um, so that's really how I got got drawn back into it. And I kind of, um, you know, after becoming pretty sure this is something. Thing I wanted to pursue, then I, I did the typical um, kind of researching what the best tech stack to delve into would be. So I, I remember doing the Python versus Ruby, PHP versus Python versus Ruby searches uh, for <laughs> nice. probably, probably for a few weeks, which if you've ever done that, it's 
you never get any clarity <laughs> from that exercise. Well, no, it's it's everybody trying to prove that they're right. It's not right. an actual discussion of the merits of one versus the other. Yeah, exactly. It's it's a fanboy for one, you know, trying to convince everyone else to use it. But yeah, um, yeah. I, I, once I started looking, taking a hard look at Ruby, I was definitely more attracted to the Ruby syntax than Python. Um, it just spoke more to me, I guess. And I really started to recognize the beauty of the language. And and then hearing, you know, what DHH had to say about why, uh, you know, Ruby's optimized for programmer happiness. And I, I that resonated with me as well. So mm-hmm. so that's when I decided to make the investment in uh, learning Rails and um, started kind of working on my own small apps. And the first few of them were obviously not not successes, but great learning experiences. Um, and I started participating in, there was a, a local software competition called 59 Days of Code in the Fresno area. And um, basically the whole premise of the competition was to start from zero code and try to build a product uh, that was actually marketable um, in the span of uh, 59 days and then presented at a showcase and uh, try to win a, a $10,000 prize. And so I entered in that and won. So that $10,000 kind of funded my um, I was still living at home, so I had really low expenses. So it, <laughs> it, uh, it funded my my kind of adventures in trying to build products for a little while. Nice. Yeah. So what what did you wind up building? So the first product I built was a um, it was a product for creating user documentation. So mm-hmm. my the premise was that uh, that if if more software companies would produce better documentation, then it would reduce support burden. Um, and I, so I was really looking for a, a, a relatively small, um, app that I could sell for in the, the nine to a hundred dollar a month range. And, um, you know, I ultimately arrived at that, but being my first product I ever built, I kind of skipped the the customer development phase and didn't really, <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> didn't really validate that anyone would actually want to pay for that. Um, but now I see products like like readme.io and some of those really cool apps. And and I kind of like um, think that maybe I would have gotten there eventually if I had continued pursuing that. <laughs> yeah, I could, I could have told you that they wouldn't pay for it because uh, my first job out of college, I was running a tech support department and I went to them and I said, you know, if we put up there, try this, this and this when you hit this error um, and we can refer people to it. Not not saying we're not going to help you go look at the docs, but here's the answer. And they're also in the docs and, right. you know, try and train people to go over that way. Um, because our support load was growing exponentially mm-hmm. and they kept coming to me and saying, how do we spend less on this? And I'm like, you can't unless yeah. you do some of these other things. And yeah, they, they wouldn't spring for that. We're not paying for something like that. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> I also think like customers don't, they don't like to be told to go, find the answer themselves they when they write into yeah. support they want someone to give them the answer so i think there were That's probably fair. a few a few strategic flaws in that product um but on the flip side it was it was my first full-scale rails application and i got to just play around and experiment and kind of learn things that work and things that don't work and uh yeah it's a good experiment and after that I, I i had a few other products i attempted another one was a it was a product called lead screener and it basically um, hooked into the Twitter API and would ingest tweets. And then you could set up a um, set up like a safe search, like uh, 
looking basically looking for people who are expressing interest to buy whatever product you're selling. Mm. So, you know, if you're like, uh, you know, selling landscaping services, you could like set up a search that would listen for anyone tweeting in your area. Uh, hey, anyone have a recommendation for a new gardener or something like that? Um, oh, wow. And that, yeah, and that was that was intriguing. Um, it was like it didn't really use advanced machine learning or anything like that. But, you know, I was doing a little bit of rudimentary natural language processing, which was kind of fun. Um, but ultimately, the the Twitter uh, API rules changed and basically made it impossible for me to continue with that. So, mm, yeah, oh well. So uh, let's let's move ahead a little bit uh, to what you're working on now. Yeah, so I'm still deep into the uh, the process of scaling out Drip, a, a large scale um, Rails application. Since since joining the Lead Pages Fold, we've we've basically 10x the number of trials and customers um, in our pipeline. So that's presented a lot of uh, a lot of technical scaling challenges for sure. Um, just having to rearchitect different different subsystems to handle uh, large scale, and you know, we now have customers with lists over half a million uh, subscribers. So anytime they want to send a broadcast to that many people, obviously there's there's some uh, large volumes of data to contend with. So so that's fun. I've also been um, had the opportunity to co-host the Giant Robots podcast, uh, Bot Bots. Um, oh, nice podcast. So yeah, it's been a good platform to kind of uh, just talk about the day to day challenges um, I'm working on. And really, one of my goals there is to, to help demystify what it means to be running and scaling a, an app like there's nothing really magical that we're doing we're kind of we're doing the same problems that everyone else is doing it's just some of them are at a little bit uh, larger scale but we're still just kind of learning as we go and and figuring out the best way to do things nice very cool yeah so uh i'm curious what do you feel like your largest contributions to the ruby community have been i don't know i would say probably Probably uh, guest co-hosting on on the Giant Robots podcast is the biggest mm-hmm. contribution since there is a bit of Ruby listenership there. I have a few a few Ruby gems, uh, but you would probably not know of any of them. Right, <laughs> a couple hundred stars at most. Uh, uh-huh. so yeah, mostly mostly in in the proprietary realm and and not a whole lot in the open source realm these days. But maybe someday. No, that makes sense. Have you spoken at any conferences? So my first time speaking at a conference was actually this year at MicroConf. I, I uh-huh. delivered an attendee talk, um, and that was that was a thrilling experience. I would like to do more of that, um, and it's kind of one of the goals of mine to do. Um, this year, I talked about our process for taking customer feature requests and transforming them into actual features, and so yeah, that was that was a fun stage to be on. Nice. Yeah, it just occurs to me that you you speak well and you have a lot of interesting things going on at Drip. So. Anyway, I'm going to encourage you that way if I can. Oh, thanks. Appreciate it, Chuck. <laughs> um, awesome. Well, um, any other stories or experiences you want to share? Or should we just head into the picks? I guess one other, uh, yeah, one other experience is um, I recently uh, actually took a machine learning class through Coursera, mm-hmm. um, which, which was really interesting. and actually ties back a bit to my math training. There's actually a, most of the machine learning algorithms we hear about startups using are actually just like statistical models. So a lot of linear regression going on there and stuff. But, but one of the takeaways I got from taking this class was that, uh, you know, you really can understand a neural network if you dig into it a little bit. 
I always thought it was some concept that was way outside my realm of understanding as just a just a lowly developer. But uh, it's actually not that difficult to understand after kind of learning about the underpinnings. So mm-hmm. I would encourage anyone who's like interested in AI or machine learning to to, you know, potentially take a, an intro class like like the one offered through Coursera, which was really excellent. Um, and it, it really helped demystify a lot of the core concepts of machine learning. Cool. Yeah. All right. Well, let's go ahead and do some picks. Did you bring some picks with you? I do have a few. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, my first pick, um, which I kind of I hate to offer this up because it's actually not currently available to sign up for, but I'm going to mention it anyways, as an app called Screen Hero. Um, and it was released a couple years ago and then Slack bought them and turned off signups. But if you still have a user account, you can invite other people. And it's basically a really awesome app for doing um, uh, pair programming. Mm-hmm. So and it's like the, the experience is extremely seamless. You just initiate a call with somebody and then you both have control over this, the screen that's being shared. And um, it's a really like it's just really rock solid in my experience. And I've been using it more and more as we um, we've been growing the team quite a bit at Drip. And I've been trying to do a bit more pair programming with folks. And it's been a really awesome tool for that. Um, so if you can grab a grab a, an invite or a sign up, I would highly recommend Screen Hero. And then also pick number two is um, uh, Prometheus, which is are you familiar with that, Chuck? I am not. Okay, so it's basically a stats uh, reporting database. Um, I think one of the Google engineers uh, kind of spearheaded the project, and um, we've been instrumenting the heck out of Drip lately because as you grow, you just need more and more visibility into different things that are happening in your app. So, um, you know, anything queue related or related to request volumes or mm-hmm. um, you know rate limiting and all that kind of stuff, you just you just need visibility. So we have probably. 20 or 30 different dashboards now and we've just gone crazy uh, instrumenting our app so prometheus is has been great and the nice thing is that uh it doesn't it has a low likelihood of actually impacting the performance of your product because um it writes data locally and then the prometheus server is set up to scrape that data as opposed to relying on like pushing stats Mm -hmm. out over the network in real time so it's it's pretty rock solid in that in its architecture and then we use Grafana, which is a really cool graphing tool to to uh, pull those stats out and display them. So those are my picks. Very cool. I can definitely plus one the pick of Screen Hero. Um, yeah. That's something that I've used a lot over the years. And it, it just works so well. And I, I hear a lot of people saying, well, when, you know, when I'm trying to share a screen over the Internet, you know, they use something like Skype or mm-hmm. Um, Google Hangouts or something. And the difference is, is that Screen Hero allows both people to control the screen, like you said. And that, for me, is just a huge win. And it's... I don't think I've ever seen the thing stutter or anything, so it just no. it just works. I've been totally blown away. Yeah, like I've been in, in low bandwidth scenarios in a coffee shop, and it'll tell you, like, your connection sucks, but it still manages to hang on. And uh, yeah. it's just really, really good architecture there, I think. Awesome. Um, so I'm going to jump in here with a couple of picks myself. Um, one of the first picks I have is I've been getting into YouTube and it's funny. We were talking before the show and you mentioned that, you know, John Sonmez is having a lot of success with YouTube. Well, he's the one that's kind of pushed me this direction. Mm -hmm. And, um, 
The other thing is, is I really want to put more content out there. I found, especially in the Ruby space, that uh, a lot of the people who were in that space have moved on to other things. And so, uh, and not necessarily the programmers, but a lot of the people who are voices out there for it. And so, yeah, it's it's been really cool to just say, okay, well, um, I'm going to do the Ruby stories like we're doing here. Um, we're going to keep doing Ruby Rogues. And um, yeah, you know, Ruby Remote Conf. Um, and then I'm starting up a new series called Ruby Rants. And I'm just going to talk about whatever related to Ruby. So we'll see how that goes. That's going to be on YouTube. So cool. um, anyway, if you're at all interested in a YouTube it's not it's going to have its own channel. It's going to be on the devchat.tv channel, but it'll have a playlist. So if you're if you're interested, you can go start watching those. And by the time this comes out, I should have about three or four weeks worth out. So um, I'm going to try and do them every day. So we'll see how that goes. But nice. yeah, um, so just- yeah, should be interesting to see how it all goes. But anyway, um, yeah. So, yeah, so that's what I'm doing there. And then um, the other pick that I have is um, I've been playing this game forever on my phone and I probably shouldn't talk about games, uh, you know, if we're, <laughs> we're trying to be productive and, you know, create work stuff. done here, Chuck. <laughs> but um, yeah, I've been playing Clash of Clans forever and I just really enjoy it. Uh, you know, I've made some friends on there, which is kind of funny because I have no idea who they are. Um, but yeah, it's been, been kind of fun. And then finally, the last thing I'm going to pick is there's a system out there, um, called contactually, which is a CRM. And, um, I, I've talked about probably the other CRMs that I've tried in the past. Um, I haven't found one that I love. I don't love contactually, but it works better than the other ones that I've tried so far. And I'd actually tried it in the past and I, I was like, okay, this is just nagging me to get back to people. But it has a whole bunch of other automation stuff in there. And I use it. I, w- I was going to use Drip, actually, for, for this stuff. But um, I wind up doing a lot of cold outreach. And Drip really isn't set up for that. So, um, you know, they're trying to keep the deliverability high and things like that. Um, and so what Contactually does is it actually just connects to my Gmail account and sends out the emails that way. Um, yep. So, yeah. So I've been using it for the cold outreach and keeping track of the people that I keep in contact with. So anyway... Um, it's it's worked out fairly well so far. Um, it was something that Josh Earl got me using at um, MicroConf because um, we were working on sponsorship outreach and things like that. But uh, yeah, it's doing the job. I am checking out Mike Tabor's um, Blue Tick. But, yeah. Um, I, I don't think we're scheduled to talk for another week or so. So uh, in the meantime, that's where I'm at. So yeah, really enjoying that. Um, I'm also going to put out mentioning YouTube. I'm going to start putting out another show and it's just going to be me talking about uh, the business that I have here uh, doing the podcast and stuff. Um, I'm fairly certain I'll tick a few people off and I'm fairly certain that a bunch of other people go, oh, that's really interesting to see how it runs. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, Um, anyway, should be pretty interesting to see how all that goes. I will say those are some of my favorite types of podcasts are the ones where um where people are just kind of talking about their day to day, which is what mm-hmm. we're doing on giant robots. And yep. um, yeah, it's something you can get some really interesting stories just from hearing, hearing the day to day. It's not always super polished. It's not, it's, yeah. it's raw, but uh, those, that's where the interesting meat comes, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting too, cause you know, it, I mean, I'm out there, so I get criticized and it's like, well, you just don't quite understand what's going on here. And so it's sure. interesting to dig into that. And, yeah, Totally. All right. Well, um, 
if people want to find you on Twitter or if you have a blog or anything like that, where, where are the best places to see what you're doing these days? Yeah. So it's just my full name, Derek Reimer on Twitter. And then I also have a blog at scaling That's S A A S. And, um, I do blog there occasionally would like to blog more. So, um, and also have a mailing list there too. Awesome. Well, uh, we'll go ahead and wrap this one up. Uh, thank you for coming. Very cool. Thanks, Chuck. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.